At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points. Good morning. How are you? Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, all over the place these days. If you want to call in, I guess I should get the call screening program up. Uh, you can call in. We do allow it. And the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, let me just address real quick the explosion in Beirut yesterday, if you saw it. Uh, there are a number of things that are coming in uh, overnight. It does not appear that it, it, there are a lot of, you know, whenever anything like this happens in the Middle East, people immediately say, oh, it was the Israelis. Well, you wouldn't be, you, you couldn't blame them because Hezbollah, of course, is, is uh, getting active against Hezbollah is a uh, Shiite Muslim terrorist group funded by the Iranians, and they've been helping Syria. They are opposed to Israel along the northern border of Israel. They've caused all sorts of problems over the years, uh, deeply hostile to um, Israel. And uh, they 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 have been agitating more frequently lately. There have also been a number of reports out that they have upped their capacity to make new rockets uh, to uh, deliver to Israel. Now, the area that exploded, uh, think of if now it's, this, is, this is somewhat bad of me to, to, to try to describe it this way, but, but I'm doing my best here just so you understand because it actually is a, a story worth noting. If you picture a line that goes uh, north to south, or let's just make it easy for your head, a, a line that goes uh, just up. From your desk, you picture a line that goes up. Now place a triangle so that the pyramid top of the triangle is pointed out to the left. That is Beirut uh, in, in the line of, of uh, Lebanon along the eastern Mediterranean coast. You've got this kind of peninsula that pokes out, little triangle that, that sticks out into the ocean, and that is Beirut. And uh, the northern edge of that triangle uh, facing north is where the harbor is and uh, pier 12 is where the tourist ships come in it, if you go on a cruise of the eastern mediterranean <clears throat> you uh you you stop in beirut and the harbor is visible from space the harbor has been around for at least three to four thousand years and Pier 12 is where the cruise ships come into the harbor. And next to Pier 12 is where the uh, the Lebanese grain supply comes in. And as the Lebanese grain supply comes in, they're able to feed the Lebanese people. Uh, Lebanon is mostly desert. And they rely on, for example, the the cruise ship industry coming in with tourists, and they rely on foreign imports of grain, a lot of it from the Russians. And that happens right next to where the cruise ships come in. The facility that exploded happened to be between those two points. It is visible as well from space. There's a building, and there is a, a nondescript warehouse next to it. 
The warehouse caught on flames, and in the initial reports were that it was fireworks, but multiple people have seen the the initial sparks that were flying, the, the orange flares it looked like that were flying, and say that that's not, um, that, that's not fireworks exploding, as some people originally thought. That's munitions. It is very likely that Hezbollah had a facility there. There was confiscated ammonia or sodium nitrate uh, that was taken off of a ship uh, used for fertilizer, but also used for explosives. And Hezbollah in the past has used this stuff. Now, it was placed in this warehouse, and there is a lot of growing speculation today that Hezbollah may have accidentally blown themselves up. Uh, They've been bragging uh, about developing a new rocket capable of firing into Israel. And multiple people have pointed out, if you paid attention to the flames, you know, when there's a car bomb, when there's a terrorist attack, you see black smoke. Black smoke is everywhere. Uh, the, the explosion, you have the standard fireball and then black smoke. With this, it was pink. And rocket fuel burns with that hue. And so some of the speculation is that uh, Hezbollah, and again, it is speculation, but the incredible speculation that this could have been uh, Hezbollah munitions that accidentally exploded. They don't actually think Israel was involved with it. Uh, Even the Lebanese came out very quickly and said, no, this appears to be accidental. It appears that uh, a fire was accidentally set at the facility uh, in munitions, and then that caused the whole thing to blow up. Uh, hundreds of people now, it appears, have been killed, not just 30. A uh, portion of the city has been flattened, and the area where grain comes into the city to be able to feed uh, the Lebanese people uh, has completely uh, been incinerated. And the city and the, and the nation were already on hard financial times. This is going to compound that. They're going to need a lot of international help and aid to get over this explosion. Uh, it, part of the city, uh, so Beirut has, I think, 2 million people. It is a beautiful city, but war-torn. It used to be just a a very cosmopolitan city in the early 80s before Civil War happened. And the city's just, I mean, the northern part of the city there is gone. Uh, The the hospital that was immediately in the area is gone, Uh, just, just wiped out. I don't know if you've seen some of the videos. I put some up on Twitter. There's actually, you can use a, a case study. Those of you who are teachers should see some of these videos because it's a great way to explain the speed of light versus the speed of sound. The speed of sound at sea level and in normal atmospheric times is about 100, or 761 miles per hour. The speed of light, of course, is constant. Uh, regardless, it's 186,000 miles per second. And you could see this video. There was one video where the people were about 5.6 miles away. And you see the flash, you see the mushroom cloud, and 28 seconds later, suddenly you hear the bang. Cyprus, to give you an idea of just how powerful this explosion was, Cyprus is 180 miles away across the Mediterranean from uh, Lebanon. It is uh, northwest. Yes, I'm trying to picture on the map. Yes, Cyprus is northwest of Lebanon. Uh, Northwest, I guess I should say, really of Beirut. Uh, and they could hear it. It is 180 miles away, and in Larnaca, uh, in Cyprus, they heard the explosion. Now, it obviously took time getting there, but they heard the explosion in Cyprus. That's how big the explosion was across the water. So I realize most of you don't care about that, but it's a major international story, and there's going to have to be some international relief uh, to help in Cyprus. Uh, So... 
Um, just keep them in your prayers. And if you see like Red Cross or, or um, the Samaritan's Purse aid, uh, consider, I realize we're on hard times here as well, but this is going to be uh, devastating for an entire nation. Their entire grain supply system has been wiped off the face of the map by this explosion. It's a very big deal. Now, we've got a lot of big deals here in this country, uh, including the battle over voting by mail. The rhetoric is beginning to heat up. Uh, I didn't get to some of this yesterday, and, and I want to now. Uh, part of this, I want to play two clips for you. One is from Mike Pence. One is from Tom Cotton. Here's Mike Pence. Well, look, the president made it very clear, whether it's the power grab in Nevada that the president or the governor of Nevada was signing that allowed not only for universal mail-in ballots, but also uh, vote harvesting, as it's called. We're headed to the courts. Look, the, the right to vote, the one person, one vote right, is at the very center of our democracy. And, and the president's made it very clear that we're gonna, not going to stand idly by while you see, uh, uh, you know, Democrat states and Democrat governors use the backdrop of the coronavirus to send millions of, uh, of ballots all across their states and all across this country. Let's be clear, though, Laura, absentee balloting is perfectly acceptable. You have to apply for an absentee ballot. Signatures are checked. It's confirmed. It has a long tradition. And we want to encourage any American that is not able to go to the polling right. place for any reason to apply for an absentee ballot today. But this universal mail-in voting where you're going to see literally ballots showered all across the state, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it just it's, it is right. Right yeah. for fraud, and, and we are headed straight uh, to the courts to put a stop to it. That was Mike Pence. Now, here's Tom Cotton. There's a grave danger of fraud from mail-in balloting. Let's be clear about the difference between mail-in balloting and absentee ballots. When you vote absentee, you submit an application, you expect a ballot, you get it, you mail it back in. There's a track record at every step of the process. These states like Nevada and New York that want to move to mail-in balloting, they're talking about sending a live, real ballot to every single person who was registered, whether they wanted one or not, whether their address has been verified, whether they're alive or dead. And then they're going to allow ballot harvesting as well, which is when party activists can come around and pick up hundreds or thousands of those ballots and return them without any knowledge of what coercion they may have used or what tactics they may have used to pick it up. Look, this is so ripe for fraud that in North Carolina in 2018, an entire congressional election was invalidated and had to be rerun. The fact that the Democrats in places like Nevada are already trying to change the rules goes to show you just how nervous they're getting about this election. And now one last clip. This is from the president of the United States. Well, we're going to see, but the post office, I can't imagine, is equipped to do this. All of a sudden, you have millions of ballots. If you look in New York, they have a real problem. They had a congressional race, and it took place about seven weeks ago. And they have no idea what's going on. The votes are lost. I don't know. There's fraud. There's something going on. But it's a very bad situation. If you look at Patterson, New Jersey, they had a race. And it's, uh, it was very corrupt. I think they said about 20% of the ballots are not appropriate. Uh, so we want to make sure it's going to be a real election. This is a very dangerous thing for World War I, World War II. People went and voted. Now, absentee ballots are good. Where you request a ballot, you get it. It's a process you have to go through. But the, the universal mail-in ballots are very, very dangerous. I don't, I don't think it works. I'll be honest. I'm, I, and I want it to work. I think it's good for me. But I don't think it works. You're not going to have — in Nevada, they passed something 
uh, yesterday. They passed it two days ago. You're suing Nevada, correct? Yeah, we're suing. Uh, it's crazy. They passed it late at night. They didn't have public meetings. They didn't have anything. And results can be in seven days after the election. That means you're not even going to know who won on election night because well, a big well, look, state. Sir, Democrats say you're trying to suppress the vote. No, not trying to suppress it. I want to have the vote. I want to actually have the vote. I want to have the real vote. Uh, I don't want an election to be stolen from either party. I don't want it to be stolen. But when they give the post office virtually no notice and they say, we're going to give millions of ballots out and you have to go and deliver them and do whatever you have to do, I mean, how can, I, how can anything run like this? The post office didn't know about it. But just take a look at what's happened in New York, Carolyn Maloney. It's a mess. Take a look at Patterson. Take a look at many other places. It's a mess. And <laughs> it's going to be a very big embarrassment for our country. Yeah, it could be. Um, I wanted to set the table with these audio clips uh, to give you how the GOP is gearing up. And would I, I want to come back and I want to walk you through the difference between absentee and mail-in balloting. I was kind of stunned last night. I, I, I put up on Twitter explaining the difference. And I was stunned by the number of reporters who were trying to tell me I was wrong, that that's not the way it works, it, except I, I wasn't wrong. I actually was an election lawyer for a number of years. I, I practiced this part of the law. Um, I, I specifically actually defended and challenged elections based on absentee balloting. I, I, I helped revise the election code in the state of Georgia. I, I kind of know what I'm talking about when it comes to elections, and, and I'm floored by the number of reporters who want to tell me that I'm wrong on this stuff. Uh, when I'm when I'm not when when I know I'm not when I helped write some of the law on this stuff and yet uh, they want to lecture me and, and tell me that I'm wrong and I, I'm pushing misleading information when I'm not I, I was kind of flabbergasted by that uh, and I want to explain to you how this all actually works when we come back. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm always amazed when people try to to lecture those who are experts in, in a field. It, it's kind of like, you know, the, the armchair epidemiologist now, everyone is is actually an expert epidemiologist now. And so when an expert epidemiologist who spent his entire career studying viruses uh, says something, uh, the the armchair people who read it on Twitter or or uh, some internet website suddenly they know more than the expert epidemiologist. Experts are by no means always right, but they do tend to know what they're talking about. And I, I have encountered this in the last 24 hours when I was explaining the difference between mail-in ballots and absentee balloting and had people lecture me that I was wrong when, you know, I actually practiced in this area of law. I was one of the few election lawyers in the state of Georgia who actually had a practice of election law. I helped revise part of the election code in the state of Georgia. I, I helped uh, draft the policies for the Secretary of State's office for electronic voting. I, I worked as a volunteer attorney for President George W. Bush, an elections attorney who could go around the country if there was a problem. I have worked with the National Republican Lawyers Association on election issues for years. I, I sat on an election review committee for the nation. I, I kind of know what I'm talking about on this stuff. So l- let me explain to you the difference between mail-in balloting and, and absentee balloting. With with mail-in balloting, there are five states that conduct their elections by absentee balloting. Uh, Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, and Utah are uh, mail-in ballot uh, voting locations. And here's the issue. 
if you are a registered voter and active on the voter rolls in those states, meaning you have participated in prior elections in addition to being registered to vote, you get a ballot in the mail. You don't have to fill out a form. You don't have to request it. It shows up. Uh, 21 days before the election, typically it shows up uh, and you get to cast your vote and, and off you go. And the upside is it increases electoral participation. The downside is uh, you could move and your ballot goes to someone else. Now, those states have absentee ballots as well. The absentee ballots are for people who are going to be out of state, typically college students who go out of state for college. They can file an absentee ballot uh, form, and the absentee ballot doesn't go to their primary residence. It goes to where they want it to go. So an absentee ballot in a mail-in balloting location redirects the ballot to a different address from the one on file. Otherwise, you automatically get a ballot. Now, the rest of the states, there are some other states, and there are 21 states actually have um, methods for for mail-in balloting, and often it depends on the size of a county. So, for example, if a county is very small, doesn't have a lot of electors in Nebraska, for example, uh, that county can do mail-in balloting because they're going to be short of staff, short of equipment, and short of money to be able to have physical precincts. They can do mail-in balloting. Most states, however, have physical precincts where you go vote like we do in Georgia. And if you don't want to go, you request an absentee ballot. Some states with absentee balloting require a specific excuse, but other states like Georgia, you don't have to offer an excuse. You just say you want a ballot and they'll send you one. And and the difference between the five mail-in ballot states and Georgia is that in the five mail-in ballot states, you do nothing and you get a ballot. In Georgia, you must fill out a form and say you want it. Otherwise, you've got to show up on election day. Now, some states want to do mail-in balloting, and what they want to do, like what Florida is doing, is there are going to be physical polling precincts, but they're going to encourage everyone to have a mail-in ballot. They're going to encourage everyone to request a ballot by mail. So they're not just going to send it to everyone. They're going to allow you to request the ballot and and vote by mail. Some states, like Nevada, for example, if I understand Nevada right, and, and the situation on the ground is still changing there, the proposal that was advancing was essentially to do mail-in balloting where they're just going to send it to everyone. And the problem is they haven't cleaned up their voter rolls to be able to do it. You've got to have regular cleaning up of your voter rolls. And the other thing you have to do is you've got to ban ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is the thing that troubles most people. In, for example, Colorado or uh, Washington State or Oregon, what happens is you have union activists come to your door and say within the time period that the ballots have been mailed out and they know you've got a ballot because you're an active voter on the uh, the registered voter file and they say, hey, we know you've got a ballot. We want to urge you to vote for our candidate and in fact, if you fill out your ballot, we'll take it and we'll send it to the post office or we'll send it to the board of elections for you. That's a problem. Uh, It intimidates people when someone shows up at their door and asks for their ballot. I don't really have a problem with mail-in balloting. Just for the record, I oppose all voting by mail. I think you should all be required to show up on Election Day and vote. There should be no absentee balloting unless you have a very good reason because you're going to be sick or out of town or you're in the hospital or you're a senior citizen and can't make it. Uh, But otherwise, I think we should discourage absentee balloting. We should oppose early voting, and we should oppose vote by mail. Uh, There is a communal civic act of showing up on Election Day. I think it should be a national holiday. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, We should encourage people to show up and stand in line and participate. Interestingly enough, black voters tend to do that because it took them so long to actually get the right to vote. They don't want to do vote by mail. 
There are ways to do vote by mail, though, that aren't fraudulent, and it's unfortunate both sides right now want to cast dispersions on it. When we've been doing this, frankly, in, in these states, Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, Utah, they've been doing it for a while. They know how to monitor. They know how to prevent fraud. Uh, there are some states, though, that are rushing so fast. We are going to have problems. Problems have existed, and we shouldn't minimize those either. I'm just really amazed at the number of people who feel the need to deny and lecture and um, and say what's happening isn't so. You know, you've got Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both out right now casting aspersions on vote by mail. And there are ways to do it with integrity. And I want to explain those to you when we come back. Hello, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I am personally perturbed with both sides right now uh, working very hard to undermine the integrity of the electoral process in this country. Both sides, I think, at this point benefit from casting doubt, and both sides are doing it. Hillary Clinton is out uh, saying the president is trying to undermine the um, undermine the election process, slow the mail, and cause problems. The president is saying that the other side is trying to overwhelm the system. Here, here's part of the issue. There are ways to conduct voting by mail. Uh, the pro, the biggest problem, though, is that it is August 5th. And people are rushing it. And the media is so in the tank for the Democrats right now, they actually are not, uh, they're not willing to engage honestly on the issue right now. We saw what happened in Georgia when Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, sent out absentee ballot applications to every registered voter in the state. So many people applied over time because they didn't all immediately send it back. that They stretched it out, but it overwhelmed local boards of elections that processed these. The local boards of elections were backlogged. In fact, in some cases, they were rushing so hard to send ballots out that they sent out the absentee ballot envelopes without the ballots inside. In other cases, they sent out the wrong ballot to the wrong races. Uh, in some cases, people didn't get it at all. And then when they showed up on election day, they were listed as having gotten an absentee ballot already. And so they had to vote by provisional ballot, which complicated the process. Uh, we are screwing things up by rushing this. That's what's actually happening. And both sides taking pot shots at the other undermine the system. We do know that that vote by mail can have problems. I mean, for example, in New York City, a quarter of uh, mail-in ballots were thrown out in one primary. But I need you to look at this a different way than what uh, the spin is from, from the president's team right now. Just be open-minded about this. A quarter of the ballots in a New York Democratic primary were tossed. So in other words, the Board of Elections actually worked and actually eliminated a quarter of the ballots. It actually worked. It, 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 it caught the screwed up ballots and didn't process them. So the system worked as designed. But now look at it from a different angle. A quarter of the people who tried to vote in that election were disenfranchised. What do you think Stacey Abrams is going to do in Georgia? If a quarter of the ballots are thrown out. 
It's not going to be the Republicans who are attempting to undermine the system. Then it's going to be the Democrats. And this is part of the problem is, is it's so transactional on both sides now. Neither side is really committed to the integrity of the process. They're committed to driving the outrage train of their own sides. And in the process, our democracy is going to suffer uh, with the outrage on both sides. The president has legitimate concerns. We have seen the screw up in Georgia. We've seen what happened in New York City. We've seen this happen in other parts of the country that are rushing. There are parts of the country where they're doing it competently. Florida is an example of a state that's trying to get it right. There are t- There is time in some places to make sure it's done right and in a uniform manner. But then there are states like Nevada that are trying to change the very fundamental ground rules of how an election is conducted in the election. The, the underlying premise of electoral politics in America is that the laws that govern the election cannot change during the course of that election. You do not get to rewrite the rules. As you in the run-up to an election, you must play by the rules that are in place. Nevada trying to legally change the rules in the course of the election is something that we should all abhor, but the Democrats, of course, are cheering it on because they think it gives them some sort of advantage. Everyone gets to hide behind the virus now. So, no, we're not really doing this for our advantage. We're doing this to keep the virus at bay. No, you're doing this because you think it'll give your side some sort of advantage. The, the standard rule, and it must apply to Republicans and Democrats alike, is that you do not change the rules. Now, you're saying, but Erickson, what about Florida? Well, in Florida, you have the opportunity to vote by absentee ballot. And what Florida is doing is they're not just sending ballots to every registered voter. You actually have to fill out a form. And they're sending everyone a copy of the form in the mail. Normally, you got to go download it by PDF. But now they're sending you a form. You've got to fill out the form, and you've got to affirmatively fill out the form and send in the form to get your ballot. That is voting by absentee. It's what Georgia did. Florida is doing it in a more uniform fashion than what Georgia did to minimize the problems that Georgia had. If Georgia were to do it again, I assure you that Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State here, would do it in a different way to not overwhelm that system. There are ways to make it happen. Along the way, what you need to do is you need to ban ballot harvesting and prohibit people from coming to your door and knock on doors to solicit your votes. Well, what what I'm I'm really upset with, frankly, right now, is that both sides are doing their best to undermine the election process so that if your team loses, you get to say, well, we didn't really lose. It was election fraud. And neither side's going to be happy, and we're going to continue to squabble and fight over this. And that, frankly, is unfortunate in my mind, because in my mind, there actually are ways to do this with integrity, and most states actually are. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, it, It is somewhat disingenuous in my mind for the Democrats, who are firmly in the camp that the Russians stole the 2016 election, to want to amp up the ability for voter fraud in this country through mail in balloting by rushing it. And again, this is different from saying let's do mail-in balloting versus let's do mail-in ballot and rush the process and change the rules right now in the process of the election. They believe that the Russians stole the election. Uh, It's not going to be hard if everybody gets their absentee ballot to have people going to the mailbox and checking to see if people have ballots in the mail and pulling them out of the mail. When you go to your mailbox and you put mail into your mailbox and you pull out the little flag for the post office guy to come by, the mail worker, and grab your mail, do you monitor your mailbox to make sure no one has come and pulled stuff out? This is something that happens regularly in the country. And then we're going to deal with postal unions. We had a postal, we we got a mailman in, in, what was it, Chicago, 
who's going to jail for destroying ballots. There are real issues and there are real problems and both sides right now are amplifying potential problems and neither side is working really to fix the problems. And and y'all listen, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a Republican. I've said I'll vote for the president in November. I do not think having a Democrat in charge right now in this country would be good for it. I think it would mobilize the left. It would amplify the left. It would embolden the left. But I I really don't like both sides, Republicans and Democrats, trying to cast dispersions on election processes when, frankly, uh, like I'm in Georgia, and Georgia's not going to have a problem. Texas is not going to have a problem. Louisiana's not going to have a problem. Uh, It's going to be some of these states that are rushing very quickly to change the rules on the ground uh, right now, uh, like New York, Nevada, and others, uh, Illinois, that are rushing. And, and these are states, you do need to understand, these tend to be states where the Democrats are going to win anyway. I mean, there, there's not a, a, a sane person in America who believes that Donald Trump is going to win New York. And there's not a sane person in America who believes Donald Trump is going to win Illinois. Nevada, however, is going to be a swing state. And Nevada needs to not be changing the rules of the game in the midst of the election. That, I think, is problematic. But if Nevada wants to do what Georgia and Florida and others have done and just send everybody an absentee ballot request to just say, hey, fill out the absentee ballot if you want to get an absentee ballot, let them do it. Otherwise, you show up on Election Day and vote. The virus is giving everyone an excuse to shake up the rules. And I suspect some of the courts are going to step in and say, no, you can't change the rules in the middle of the election. That's kind of a well-settled principle uh, in the American electoral landscape that you can't do that. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but I just, I, 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 got an, I got a real problem with both sides now out uh, talking, trying to undermine the election, uh, trying to undermine the situation. Uh, but it, we also do need to understand that there are states like California where if you mail in your ballot, it's not that it has to be in on election day. It's going to be postmarked on election day. And that causes problems too. And it's also, I think, really disingenuous of the press to not recognize that that's a problem, where you could have an election and two weeks later we could be waiting to determine a winner of an election because we're waiting on mail-in ballots. The rule in most states, including Colorado and Oregon and Utah, uh, that do mail-in balloting is that your ballot must be in on election day. No, no. If your ballot comes in the day after the election, it's too late. They put the obligation on you to ensure that it gets there on time. In California, as long as you're in Malawi and you've got your ballot in Malawi, as long as you postmark it on election day, it could take two weeks to get from from Sub-Saharan Africa to Sacramento, and and they're going to count your vote. That should be unacceptable. But it's all partisanship at this point. Everything is politicized. And, and of course, the election is going to be politicized. Uh, I, I just, I think that both sides are casting doubts on things where we really shouldn't have doubts. And in doing so, they're further dividing the country in ways that don't need to be divided. We, we are so divided as a country right now. And both sides, you've got Hillary Clinton coming out, uh, undermining the mail-in balloting. You, you got the president coming out, undermining mail-in balloting. 
that you've got legitimate concerns out there. The president does have legitimate, you know, Hillary Clinton's insane concerns. I mean, talk about whacked out conspiracy theories. Hillary Clinton actually believes that the president has a postmaster general who's intentionally slowing the flow of mail in the country, like actually slowing the machines that process the mail so that ballots can't get to boards of elections. She's actually speculating that this is the case. That is some bat crap crazy idea out of Hillary Clinton's Twitter feed. At least the president does have some legitimate concerns about uncertainty and whatnot. I I think in some cases they're overamplified, but he has legitimate. Look at what happened in Georgia with the number of people who flooded the system, overwhelmed the system, and and that's his major concern, people being overwhelming systems that aren't set up for an overwhelming absentee ballot race. But we've got time if people would just actually sit down and worry about solving the problem instead of scaring everyone about it. We actually have time. It is August 5th. We've got until November. We can put, so really, you've got until October so that you can handle mail-in balloting. We've got two months at least to be able to solve the problem and make it happen in a proper way. But everybody's too busy yelling at each other to get anything done. I think I have thoroughly exhausted the topic of voting by mail. I, I So I got to move on. Kansas, you should know, Kansas has saved uh, the Republicans. They they So listen, uh, Kobach, what is it? Chris Kobach, um, he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he's a conservative guy. I supported his gubernatorial run. And I didn't support his Senate run, much to the chagrin of a number of friends of mine in the conservative movement who who backed him again. Uh, he lost to Roger Marshall, who is way more squishy than Chris Kobach. Uh, Kobach is undeniably more conservative than, um, than Roger Marshall. There's a problem for Chris Kobach, though, and that is that he lost uh, statewide two years ago. And Kansas Republicans handed a Democrat the governor's mansion in Kansas. Now, Kansas uh, populist Republicans have a history of doing this, uh, but uh, what people nationwide don't understand, particularly people in the conservative movement nationwide don't understand, is that in Kansas, when it comes to those big leadership spots, governor and senator, they are perfectly happy uh, Kansas establishment Republicans would much prefer a Democrat to a hardcore conservative like you or me. And the question is, what happens with the Senate? I, If the election were held today, the Republicans would lose the White House and the Senate. Now, all caveats mentioned before, we got time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are there. But uh, Republicans are starting to worry about losing their Senate majority. And every seat that you lose headed into losing your majority goes towards the Democrats having enough people willing to kill the filibuster. If you've got a 51-49 Senate that the Democrats control, the odds of them killing the filibuster are slim to none. If you have a 56-seat Senate Democratic majority, the odds of them killing the filibuster are very good. So when you put Kansas into the mix, you nominate a guy who already lost statewide to a Democrat two years ago and make him the guy you run for the Senate statewide, many of the very same Republican voters who voted Democrat last time, I mean, the polling already showed 30% of Republicans in Kansas would vote for the Democratic senator over Chris Kobach. It didn't make sense to nominate him. To think that he could do this year what he couldn't do two years ago is a little bit silly to me.
And I realized, oh, but the president will be on the ballot this time. It's No, I mean, given the angst out there right now, even in Kansas, I don't think it was smart. And so voters in Kansas, interestingly enough, rejected him uh, by about 20 percentage points. Which uh, in Washington, they assumed it was going to be very, very close. It, it turned out not to be, which was good. But I'll tell you that the big one, and this one is not getting as much attention, is Cory Bush beat William Lacey Clay Jr. And that is actually a very big deal. And you guys have no idea who I'm talking about. Let me set the stage for you here. One of the great dynasties of the left is a William Lacey Clay. William Lacey Clay was a politician from Missouri, from St. Louis. His father helped found the Congressional Black Caucus. And he was challenged by a woman named Cori Bush. Cori Bush is a radical progressive Black Lives Matter activist. She was backed by the Justice Democrats. Those are the social justice warrior Democrats led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. William Lacey Clay Jr. was perceived, even though he's a black Democrat, he was perceived as being uh, too friendly with Republicans and too moderate. He was willing to work across the aisle. And so Cori Bush, the progressive activist, beat William Lacey Clay. Now, here's the thing. Uh, She'll be the first black woman to represent Missouri in Congress. She is black like William Lacey Clay. Uh, But uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, you need to understand, has been targeted by the progressive Democrats because the Congressional Black Caucus actually has a large number of more moderate Democrats. Uh, For example, Sanford Bishop, where I am in Georgia, Down in southwest Georgia, there is a Democratic politician named Sanford Bishop. And Sanford Bishop's claim to fame is he is very middle-of-the-road bipartisan. Republicans for years have tried to beat him, even in districts that went for uh, some Republicans. uh, I, I think his district went for Donald Trump. But Sanford Bishop is an expert, expert at bipartisanship. He's a He's a partisan Democrat. And he is also an expert at building bipartisan bridges in Georgia. And if a progressive Democrat challenged him, I, I don't know that a progressive Democrat challenging Sanford Bishop would go over well in South Georgia. But it would be as if Sanford Bishop here in Georgia was picked off by a, a radical progressive. That's what happened with William Lacey Clay Jr. And this is something that you nationally have to pay attention to. I, I realize many of you, most of you listening are in Georgia, and you're thinking, why, why, why do we care about a Missouri, St. St. Louis, Missouri race? Because the media never pays attention to the civil war of the Democratic Party. They never pay attention to the crack up of the Democratic Party. Democrats with the Chris Kobach uh, race, Democratic activist group poured money into Kansas running pro-Kobach ads. And, And now you need to think about that for a minute. Chuck Schumer's political group ran ads to make Chris Kobach look good. They ran ads about how Chris Kobach was Donald Trump's guy. They ran ads on how Chris Kobach was the conservative in the race. 
and they did it to try to get conservative Republicans to vote for him in very much the same way what, what uh, Claire McCaskill running against what's his name in Missouri uh, was able to 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 get Todd Aiken was able to get uh, she ran ads favorable to Aiken making him look like he was already the nominee and Republicans went and voted for him and then he flubbed the life answer and, and sabotaged his race um, the, the, very much that's what the Democrats tried to do in Kansas now if if it worked think about how much attention the media would give to the Democrats being able to do that. If Republicans ever did that and it worked, think about how little attention the media would give. And this is very much the same thing here in in Missouri. The Democratic Party is currently going through a civil war between the progressives and just the general liberals. The the liberals, they still like capitalism, but they want a bigger social safety net. The progressives hate capitalism. They want to bring on socialism and they want to wipe out any Democrat who stands in their way. And the media has largely completely ignored largely completely. I can't believe I just said that, but I did. Nonetheless, the, the, the media has largely ignored the crack up of the Democratic Party led by these progressive radicals who are increasingly hijacking the Democratic Party. And here's the problem. A great deal of the media agrees with the far left of the Democratic Party. And they're in such a bubble, they do not realize that much of the country profoundly disagrees with the radical leftists who are hijacking the Democratic Party. So when William Lacey Clay Jr., uh, an heir to a black political dynasty in Missouri that is nationally famous, goes down in flames at the hands of progressive Democrats uh, who get a Black Lives Matter activist to replace him, all of us should be paying attention to that. And the fact that the media only wants to give it lip service suggests they want more of it to happen. And that's going to come back and blow them up at the ballot box when voters reject them. It's Eric Erickson here. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode. It features British author and historian Andrew Roberts. Now, if you haven't heard of Roberts, he's the author of numerous award-winning books, including his most recent, Churchill Walking with Destiny. Roberts is the foremost expert on Winston Churchill. In this episode, he addresses Churchill's approach to governing during a crisis and how he evolved from status to staunch advocate of the free market system. Roberts also shares his take on the destruction of historic monuments. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y, and at the end of it, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. Bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. New episodes debut weekly, so come back often, subscribe to their YouTube channel, be notified whenever a new one is posted. It's great content, very thought-provoking for those of you who actually want to be inspired and engage with new ideas and maybe from authors and others you haven't heard of. BradleyFDN.org slash Liberty. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Uh, y- y'all, I'm I'm trying to to not scare the 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 mess out of people and i'm i'm trying uh to to find upbeat news to alleviate concerns when it comes to getting your kids because you know we want our kids to go back to school too um it, there is a story though that a georgia second grader tested positive for covid-19 after attending the first day of school 
the school district told CNN. Sixes Elementary in the Cherokee County School District began in-person classes on Monday. But on Tuesday, a classroom was temporarily closed for deep cleaning, and the teacher and 20 other students had been asked to quarantine for two weeks after the second grader tested positive. Now, yeah, I, I need to be mean to some of you. I don't mean to be mean, but I'm going to be mean. Do you know the most galling award that is ever given out at a school? It is the award for never missing a day of school. Because if you're a kid, the odds are you get sick. And when your parents are sending you to school when you're sick, in pre-COVID days, it was bad enough, uh, but now it's just ridiculous. And I know people who do this. I, I have friends who believe that that if, if their kid is, is not running fever, but clearly isn't feeling well, that it is perfectly a-okay to send their kid to school. And, you know, here's the thing. Um, with with this virus, you you may not get fever, at least at first. Now, you're probably, most of the kids get fever, but not necessarily at first. And I just, I, I've never understood the mentality of the parent. Well, I got to go to work. Never mind that my kid is sick. You, you know, your school teacher is not a babysitter. And, and this, by the way, tends to be worse in, in public than private schools for a variety of reasons, uh, where parents have to go to work and so they drop their kid off. I, I've got a, a relative who just retired from teaching and said the most frustrating thing was you've got a kid in class who's throwing up in class uh, and, and you could see visibly when the child got there that morning that the child was sick and, and clearly did not suddenly develop symptoms on the school bus. Their parents woke them up, got them ready for school, put them on the bus and sent them to school sick. And this happens all the time. We, we, you have super spreader events in schools all the time where kids come in who clearly are sick, but, oh, we got to get the, the never missed a day of school award. Or the parents, oh, we, we, we can't stay home today. We've got a big meeting. We, we can't leave you at home by yourself because you're in fifth grade, but you, you got to go to school. Never mind that you're throwing up and have fever. I, I, this, is, this is parental responsibility, and it is a failure in our society to be not just a good parent but a good neighbor. This child went to school on the first day of school and then tested positive. What made the parents think the kid needed to be tested? So here's the thing. This is, this is beyond dispute at this point. It is, it is impossible to dispute this with the science at this point. You do not... You do not develop the symptoms and, and fever and everything else of COVID-19 the day you're infected. It takes several days for the symptoms to show up. And during that period of time, you're contagious. This is beyond scientific dispute at this point. And that's why, by the way, they went from saying don't wear a mask to wear a mask is because at first they thought that most people who got the symptoms or who got the virus were highly contagious after they had symptoms. And now we know that actually with this virus, you're most contagious before you get the symptoms. So this kid goes to school for just one day and the parents say, huh, we need to go get the kid tested for the virus after going to school the first day. 
clear what they did the kid was the kid not feeling well when they came over they were fine when they went to school because here's the thing there's no way this child got the virus at school on the first day because if he got the virus at school by showing up on the first day he would not have had symptoms so he had to have been infected prior to the start of school and the parents sent him to school on the first day and the, oh i guess we better get him tested There's just something not right there. Y'all, here's, here's, this is, this is the part that, this is the part that infuriates me. It it really, it really makes me mad. We can do this. We can open schools. We can get your child into school. We can get you back to the office. But it actually takes a community-wide neighborly effort to all be responsible. I went to a gun range last night with a friend of mine. He's from Israel. Everyone in Israel is in the army. They're all impressive shooters. We went, we had to wear our masks in a gun range that has a, a ventilation system designed to, to get rid of the, the fumes and, and, and everything floating in the air. Uh, and, and they still made us wear masks the whole time. Your, your glasses would, your safety glasses would fog up. We could pull it down a little bit. To, to try to not, and then we, we went afterwards to, to a restaurant. We actually sat at a bar. I actually had a draft beer. I haven't had a beer that was like draft since like February, I think. And we sat at the bar and we wore our masks until the beer and the food showed up. And when we got up to go to the bathroom, we had to wear our masks. There was no one around us. They wiped down everything in front of us when we sat there. We used hand sanitizer when we left. We washed our hands. We were good. There are ways to do this and not get the virus. Accidents can still happen. You can be very precautious. I know someone who was exceedingly precautious, rarely left the house since February, and still wound up getting the virus. Accidents do happen. But by and large, you can be precautious, and you can be precautious for your kids. But this is everyone's big concern right now. It's not sending our kids back to school. It's sending our kids back to school with you and your kids. Because if if my family is entirely responsible and your family is entirely responsible, but that other family that we all know isn't entirely responsible, guess what's going to happen? The irresponsible family is going to bring the virus in and infect all the responsible families. It just, it, it, what part of being a good neighbor don't you understand? It's like the situation up at Lake Burton. For, for those of you not in Georgia, there's a, a YMCA camp here in Georgia on Lake Burton. I, I want to, I want a vacation house on Lake Burton one day. I got to, I got to get the show in this vacation. I got to make some real money. I got to maybe win the lottery. I, I mean, you were talking to multi-million dollar houses on this lake. Or, you know, just one of the, so I stayed up at a, at a, at a villa at the, the waterfalls, the, 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 um, the Nick Saban golf course up there. I, I would, that villa I stayed, I would take that. That was fantastic. Beautiful views. I don't need to be on the lake. Uh, I just want to be able to sit up there on that balcony and, 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 and go to the restaurants and Clayton, Clayton, Georgia, my goodness, I am in love with that place. Uh, and, and um, Clarksville and Habersham County too, just that whole area up there. I got to go up there and, and fly fish. But I mean, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the, the Lake Burton, I am now told reliably by multiple people that the way the virus spread is a couple of, a couple of the younger camp counselors 
went out irresponsibly and wound up bringing the virus with them to the camp. It, it didn't come with the kids. It came with a couple of kids. Now, I, I've heard this now from two independent people who, who live in the area who are familiar with the camp. Maybe they were talking to each other and they spread. I don't want to spread idle gossip, but uh, given the people I've heard it from, I tend to think it's credible that that it came from, from two of the um, two camp counselors who were engaged in behaviors they shouldn't have been engaged in thinking they were bulletproof and they weren't. And the virus spread. And you got a bunch of elementary school kids who got the virus. And of course, now people are freaked out. All it takes is everybody being responsible. But the problem is people are stupid. And you've got the parents who refuse to keep their kid home. They just want to apply their kid full of medicine and send them to the school to mask the symptoms so that their kid can get everybody else sick because the parents are so self-centered, self-involved, or, or they just can't. They're, they're in a job where they, they just can't give up time. Sometimes if you have kids, you do have to give up time, though. Sometimes you got to take a hit to make sure your kid's not getting everyone else sick. And people can't seem to fathom. We are not in flu season. We're in COVID-19 season. We're with flu you've got a, a tenth of 1% of people will die. With this one, we're still at about 3% of the people who get it die. We presume it's about 1% because we presume a lot more people have had it than have it, but we're also seeing a much higher death toll during this time of year than we've seen in the last previous years, which suggests that more people are dying of this virus and don't even realize it. All you got to do is be responsible. What 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 is so hard about be well? I, I guess when we're in a society where you got teenagers getting pregnant and people making bad life decisions and, and whatnot and getting on TikTok and, and or on Snapchat and showing their naked self to their friends, I, I mean, you, you do have to question people's responsibility at this point. But all you got to do is be responsible. I was talking to a buddy a couple of weeks ago who has a coworker who the coworker, again, thought he was bulletproof, went out with friends to a karaoke bar, a karaoke bar that was open and crowded. And you will be unsurprised to learn that someone there was contagious and a significant portion of the people at the bar got the virus. Well, this particular employee went to his business, clearly was sick, but was so convinced that no, it couldn't have happened. He couldn't have gotten the virus that he went to his office and had the virus. And luckily, uh, there were so few people in the office, no one else got it, uh, but they had to pay to send somebody in to clean. And by the way, we now know that the the, the super aggressive cleaning uh, probably isn't overwhelmingly necessary, but it's still a good idea. But all, all people have to do is be responsible. Why can't people be responsible? Why can't people just, just own up to the fact that we're at a time where you may think it's no big deal, but a lot of people do, and everyone agrees, even if you think it's no big deal, that there are medically fragile people. And when you're in a school, particularly a public school, you've got a lot of kids who are being raised by their grandparents. I mean, I, my kids go to a Christian private school, and we've got kids in our school who are raised by their grandparents. And grandparents, guess what? Definitionally, Medically fragile. If they're over the age of 65, they, they are hypersensitive to the disease and have a higher mortality rate. Why can't you do it to keep your grandparents from dying? Why can't you just be responsible? If your kid's not feeling well, don't send them to school. Don't take your kids out into crowded. Uh, we were, so I told you I went with my, my buddy last night. Uh, we went shooting, then we went to this restaurant, and we were off by ourselves. There was no one else around us at the bar. They wiped everything down. We wore a mask, so we got our food. We wore masks everywhere. But on, on the back side of the restaurant, there was a, a, a crowd in a separate area. 
And I just thought, well, and they were kids there. I was like, what? Why are you guys doing this? Don't all you got to do is be precautious. Take precautions. Be responsible. And if your kid wakes up and says they're not feeling good, they may be lying through their teeth, but keep them home. We can all do, we can get schools back to work. We can all go back to the office. We can get every business in America open tomorrow. We can do this as a country, as individuals, we can do this without the government dictating to us how to do it. We are capable of doing this, but it takes everybody actually accepting some level of responsibility and foregoing some activities you would normally participate in just to keep everyone around you safe. And yet, People, this is an indication of just how selfish our society is, I think. Uh, the, the level of selfishness in society right now, where, where it's no big deal to me, therefore, screw you. Um, and that is the biggest problem right now we have in society is, is no one, the, the scripture says, love your neighbor. Well, screw my neighbor. I don't even know their name. I, I, I'm going to go have a good time. And then you spread the virus. All you got to do is take some precautions, folks. You can get your kids back to school. And and you can prevent the virus from breaking out in your kid's school. All you got to do is take the precautions. And you know what the precautions are? Socially distance. Avoid crowds. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. But it's all a conspiracy. So who cares? Man, did I hit a sore spot with you people. I, I Let me read you. Uh, so first of all, a, a text message from a buddy of mine. Uh, who's listening. He says, my wife is a kindergarten teacher, drives her insane. You're clearly doped up on Tylenol. You have ecto-green snot. Thanks, mom, for sending your kid to school. And then I got uh, an email from a listener. He says, "Uh, there are tons of stories I could tell you about this crap. My wife is a kindergarten teacher, freaking parents, mass symptoms with meds, then send their kids to school. I'm yelling at my, my mini speaker. You're streaming through listening to your show. And then I got another email from another says parents are the worst. They give their kid Benadryl and Tylenol. They come to school half tired, half doped up and spreading symptoms to everyone. They need to stop it. They're going to kill us this time. And then I got another one and another one. My God, you know, people don't call in, but uh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I, 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 um, this is clearly a sore spot, particularly with those of you who have uh, spouses who are teachers or you yourself are a teacher. And, and I've heard this. I, I have heard this from multiple teachers who that is their single fear about reopening school right now is the parents who regularly do this. And here's the thing. They all know which families tend to do it. Don't think you're fooling the teacher. They know and they're concerned. Um, but but they can't single you out. Let, let's go to Athens, Georgia, and the phones. Rooster, welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I had a concern. Uh, whenever uh, we 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 have we have a problem where these kids are going to get to go sit on Santa's lap uh, come come Christmas time, and then uh, Santa Claus is actually going to spread it all over the world. Ben's how he's going to everybody's house on one night. <laughs> well, and Rooster, so thank you for making all the kids it. listening cry right now. Well, Santa Claus is going to be a super spreader. Yeah, not just him, the, those jerk reindeer, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's bad enough they take a dump on your roof. Now they're spreading a virus with it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, I did just say that. My apologies, people. Rooster egged me on. It's all his fault. But yeah, listen, I don't think people are going to be able to do it this year. I, I don't think you're, you're I don't, listen, I don't mean to upset people with kids in the car right now, but I, I don't know that they're going to be able to do this sort of stuff this year. Um, you, you don't well, want Santa Claus giving the virus to people. Well, well, see, Eric, they're they're canceling the uh, the Christmas symphony uh, in Athens this year because they can't keep everybody they can't practice and keep everybody safe. So, well, okay, l- yeah. now let me let me ask you this: Are this is Athens we're talking about? Are they canceling the Christmas symphony concert because of the virus, or because they don't want to celebrate uh, white people religious holiday? <laughs> Um, I mean, is the virus I, I, the cover? I totally agree with you, but they they're they're putting it out on their website that they are going to be canceling it because they can't get together and safely uh, socially distance a symphony all together That's, and get well, it all together before then. Oh man, well, I mean, that sucks, but yeah, I mean, people are already having to think about this. So, Rooster, thanks for the phone call. Yeah, I, I'm already hearing about parades uh, because, in fact, there is concern right now: is Macy's going to be able to do the Thanksgiving parade? And they're starting to think no, they're, because people are going to be piled onto the streets and not social distance. So, can they? Get, I mean, the Indianapolis 500, no crowd for the first time. They're going to have the race, but no crowd. I was so I was at at the restaurant last night. And was watching the 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 basketball, and that was just bizarre. The the Zoom fans, no no real crowd. It was just it, the whole thing was weird. It's it's like watching the. At least we have sports, but who knew you missed the crowd? And I got to tell you that this this thing at, up at the TP with the Braves, where you can crowd into the battery and and sit around and and drink with your friends and eat, and you can't go into the stands. They should be able to socially distance in the stands. The stadium is huge, and instead we got crowds outside, and the players. The whole thing is just a weird setup. Uh, we we are definitely in this weird world right now. But you know what? We are going to get over it. We, we we will get past this. There is hope on the horizon with the medicines and the treatments and the vaccines, and and we continue to learn new stuff every day. Uh, there's positive progress in the right direction. And, you know, here in Georgia, in fact, we're, we've definitely turned the corner in the number of daily cases continuing to decline. Uh, the moving average is headed in the right direction for the state. Uh, th- there, There's hope on the horizon. Uh, the question is, will there be a big rebound? Uh, and we don't know that yet, but we're definitely seeing a major decline in daily cases now in Georgia. And that's actually a really good thing. And we're seeing that in other states as well, that it had major flare-ups. They're seeing declines as well. Uh, What is the hope? When we come back, let's discuss this. Give you some optimism, if I can. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 from Middle Georgia. Let's go to Jake. How are you this morning? What's going on, my friend? Good to see you and hear from you. You too. Um, well, hey, listen, I know that uh, I called in a few uh, weeks ago, days ago, whatnot, about the census, um, but I do have some updated information uh, for you and your listeners that uh, is kind of timely and possibly of interest. Um, these bits of information, I'll just rattle them off, and then we can kind of discuss each. Uh, I found out that the census uh, will end on September 30th, not October 31st, as previously 
uh, discussed. So they're moving up the um, uh, deadline a month mm-hmm. to now September 30th. And um, another bit of information is the census enumerators, I found out, will be going door-to-door to those who have not completed their census, um, I believe, beginning next Tuesday, uh, August 11th. Um, the reason I bring that up is because we have, um, uh, if you don't want a uh, you know, census uh, enumerator coming to your house, you, all you got to do is complete the census online at my2020census.gov. And we have you know, it, uh, some... Go no, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. All right, we have some, you know, schools that are beginning to... Uh, Start. I know my kids are at ACE, and uh, they've started uh, distance learning. Um, and the last thing that, you know, we need as is, is, uh, families, you know, who are working is to have a, a son or a daughter or whatnot <clears throat> at home distance learning, and you get a, they get a knock on the door, and they're not, they don't know who it is, even though the census workers will be, you know, dressed appropriately right. as, I mean, as far as, you know, a vest and having a clipboard. They'll be, you can identify them that they'll be a census worker. But your kids may not know that. And last thing you need to do anywhere in the state of Georgia is to get, uh, a, you know, a phone call from your kids saying, hey, there's somebody at the door. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, if you're like me and you were there, you might have to take your firearm that's been done up at true-precision.com. <laughs> and, you know, you wouldn't want to have to go through that, um, even though you have a really awesome firearm that's been yes, done I do. up at true-precision.com. Um <laughs> So the easiest way to do, uh, to keep from having to do that or, you know, having to go through that rigmarole is, you know, just complete your census online. Those two things I really wanted to get across is that the uh, census uh, increase um, will get finished a month earlier, and the uh, census enumerators, the folks going door-to-door, will start on August the 11th. So Yeah, um, and, you know, I, so I mentioned this, so you would be proud of me. I, I, I did uh, talk about this a little bit yesterday when the news broke that they're going to they're gonna curtail it a little early. And, I, okay. I mean, people, they, they, they are not only uh, going to show up at your door, they're required to do it, and you're required to answer. Yeah. And so if you don't want, if you want to socially distance from the census, all you got to do is go online and fill it out. Yeah, it, it takes 10, 15 minutes, and I will, before you let me go, I will uh, put a shout-out to uh, the folks in Houston County that we are at 66.3% of our participation rate, and uh, that means that we have met and surpassed the um, um, participation rate in our 2010 census, the last go-around. So uh, hats off to the folks in Houston County, but we still have to go um, reach our goal of 76-plus percent. So keep at it, but... Um, um, Anyway, just keep talking about the, the more the merrier, and I do appreciate your help, sir. Absolutely, and and thanks for the plug on True Precision, Jake. I mean, so speaking of, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, so I, I've got True Precision is one of our advertisers, and, and they they make parts for guns, and and I actually went through them to get a, a whole Glock, and they changed the slide and the barrel. So I was with my my friend last night at the gun range, and and I've only now taken the gun I got from True Precision uh twice to the gun range i just hadn't had the opportunity to go and i'm i realized last night i suck at shooting this gun like i i've got a glock 19 and i am i i will brag on myself that i impress myself with my ability to shoot that gun uh to 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 hit the center of the target whether the target is high or low with my glock 19 i can get it 
uh, I'm actually very good at it. And, and I shock myself not having a lot of experience with a gun, uh, to be able to do it. And, and I just, with my, my 43 X, I kept going low. And so I'm with my friend who's from Israel, who was in the military in Israel for a while. And he's like, well, the problem is this gun is a 43 X. Uh, it, it's so much lighter than the Glock 19 that I'm overcompensating when I pull the trigger, expecting a, a different recoil. And, and he helped me adjust it. And man, uh, I just, I, I had a blast last night. I've, I've got to get a few more magazines for it, uh, to be able to, but yeah, I, I've got my 43 X down now. It's awesome. You can, you can upgrade your gun by going to true precision as well. Um, you gotta just go to the website and check them out. A true dash precision.com is their website. You get slides, you get barrels, you get triggers. You can work with them on, on building your gun. They're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. The slides, we were actually at the, the gun range last night. And I pulled it out. There was a couple two lanes over there. Every other lane was was spaced out and a couple two lanes over. I pulled that gun out. I had all my handguns with me and pulled that one out. And they're like, where'd you get that? That's a cool gun. And and they wanted to see it as well, the, the, the couple that was there. And I was like, a true precision. It, it really is that good looking of a gun. Uh, and it it fires. What Now that I got it figured out, because it is so much lighter. I mean, this thing is is a very light gun. And it's small. It's great for concealed carry. That's why I have it. Although my concealed carry license expired. I got to get that. I actually got to go through the fingerprint process again. But nonetheless, um, it works. Um, True-precision.com is their website. I want to, at this moment, just just meditate with you for, for a moment. So I, 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 I intended to write this this morning. I haven't written my daily email from Substack and I'm going to, and it's, it's, I started writing it and it's on this. Uh, I got a, I got an email from a pastor. He says, how do you balance opinion versus hope? As a pastor, I always emphasize hope though. Admittedly, I'm offering Christ yet. I always clearly emphasize reality. I've come to trust your opinion and your character, yet the question remains, where does responsibility lie with those who speak publicly and are heard? Even if we were to disagree, my respect and care for you is unchanged. Well, this is a thought-provoking question from a pastor. And I've been thinking about this in in terms of the virus, because if we're honest, there hasn't been a ton of good news. and, And people are now headed to try to get their kids back to school and the news that's coming out of, of schools is bad. And part of me does believe that the media is amping up the fear factor here because the fear factor gets you to turn in, tune in, pay attention. But there, we, we do have to balance hope and opinion and, and analysis of what's going on. And, and let me, let me start here. I, and again, so the question is how do you balance opinion versus hope? As a pastor, I always emphasize hope, though admittedly I'm offering Christ, yet I always clearly emphasize reality. I've come to trust your opinion. And the question remains, where does responsibility lie with those who speak publicly and are heard? I I think it does begin with reality. What I try to do, and, and there are days I do it better than others, is to tell you what the news is first. And then to give you some analysis of the news, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. And only after giving you what actually happened and my analysis of what happened, give you my opinion of what happened, and I separate opinion from analysis, where I think analysis is you can cut, you can see a situation and and 
explain the facts of how it happened before then giving your opinion on whether or not you think it was right or wrong. Very much like uh, it is in the first hour explaining the difference between absentee balloting and mail-in balloting. What's the difference between the two? How do they work? What are the problems? What are the advantages? And then what do I think? And what I think is we shouldn't be doing any of it. Uh, We should all show up on election day and vote. But the reality that we live in is that they both happen and here's how they work. And here's how they're different and here's how they're the same. I think you must begin with reality. And when it comes to this virus, I do think that there is a reality and there's also a perception. And for many people, that perception becomes reality. Uh, they live online. Uh, they, they read news sources that confirm their biases already uh, that are in their bubble, tell them what they want to hear, and, and they know it's true. So, for example, I'm seeing right now that uh, there is a survey out or there's a story out from a conservative publication that the reason Dr. Fauci and others oppose uh, hydroxychloroquine as a uh, as a means of treating COVID-19 is because it interferes with the spread and use of remdesivir, and remdesivir is expensive, and the drug companies want to make profit. And because the drug companies want to make profit and hydroxychloroquine is so much cheaper, you got to suppress the use of hydroxychloroquine so you can use remdesivir. It is amazing how you can put a profit motive in front of people, and they will immediately believe something is true even if they don't. Uh, The actual reason they're not advancing hydroxychloroquine at the moment is because there are 243 outstanding studies on it. The studies we have right now are overwhelmingly mixed and have small pools of people, and they're waiting for the rest of these studies to come in before they actually make a, a decision, and they want to make it very clear that the president pushing this right now is not based on the medical research. The medical research is decidedly mixed. Uh, my position is that, in my opinion on this matter, is that uh, given the analysis I just gave you, we should allow doctors to use it if they see fit, and some doctors are. We should not preclude a potential treatment where some doctors have found it to benefit their patients uh, just because studies are mixed right now. And the studies very much are mixed. They're not conclusive in one direction. Again, there are 243 studies outstanding. So if, if I'm to give you hope, I, I first must give you reality. What What is the real situation? And as best I can give it to you, and, and there are people who will quibble with the details. I have friends who listen to this program and regularly engage with me and quibble with details of what I've said. Uh, And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. I try to correct myself when I'm wrong because the best I can do is paint you an accurate picture of reality and then try to explain the world around that reality and then to try to give you some hope. And what is the hope? A lot of people want hope right now. They're discouraged. So let me give you hope. Humanity has been at this for several thousand years. We, as a people, as a global people, have survived natural disasters. We've survived war. We've survived famine. And we've survived plagues. We have survived diseases that killed a great many more people than this disease. We have survived world wars during global pandemics like World War I. People are resilient. We do not accept as a people the status quo. We always strive for better. People as a whole, particularly the American people, always intend to do better 
always believing the best days are ahead of them. We lose hope when we believe that the best days are behind us. And there are increasingly among the intellectual elite in this country a view that, yes, the best days were behind us. And it's China's rise now. Uh, we are governed now, I think, by a large number of people on the left and the right who will not publicly admit what they privately believe that China is actually the dominant power on the planet right now. And we are receding. Uh, and we only allow we only let that be so if we presume it to be so and we don't fight to change it. But the American American people tend to fight to change these sorts of things, and we tend to stand up, and we tend to look at these sorts of things as challenges that can be met and overcome. We put a man on the moon and brought him safely back to Earth. We can overcome this virus. It requires that we all step up and do what must be done for our community. It requires that we be good neighbors, and we put our care and responsibility for others ahead of ourselves, and that's something Americans tend to do. We are rugged individualists who recognize our responsibility to family, friends, and our community. And so we will overcome this virus. We will beat it back. We will beat it back not out of necessity, though it is necessary. We will beat it back because we are the greatest country on the planet. And right now we have dysfunction. We have people at each other's throats over politics. But there's more to life than politics. There's more to life than the squabbling online. There's more to life in your community. You have your family and your friends. You have aspirations and desires. And we are the country most uniquely able to help individuals meet their aspirations and desires. Despite all the squabbling and yelling and denial and betrayal and everything else, we're Americans. We will innovate. We will progress and we'll beat it. We always do. We always have. We always will. It's messy. And unlike many other countries, including China, that do a lot of stuff in the shadows where no one can pay attention without a press that can examine it, all, all of our warts and all are, are laid out in public view globally for everyone to see how we're screwing up and how we're not. But ultimately, we're a nation of 350 million people and 50 semi-sovereign states each of which trying different things. And among those states, experiments of democracy and of the republic, we will find solutions and the other states will see that the solutions are good and they will adopt them and they will move forward and we'll beat the virus. It's what we do. We beat bad things. We always have. Whether it's the virus, whether it's Nazis, we beat them because we're Americans. And there's no reason for us to have our head down and be mopey and worry because you know what? One of the unique things about the American people one of the things some would prefer us to lose, and one of the things some people are losing, but most people have not yet lost, is that we actually are a nation of individuals, and if the government fell tomorrow, we would still all be okay because we are a nation that prides ourselves in individual reliance and individual strength and, and the, 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 the aspect of family that keeps us together in our communities working together hand-in-hand hand with our next-door neighbor. If the world went to hell in a handbasket tomorrow, here in this country, people in each community would turn to their community and still strive to make their community a better place. We would not rely on government dictate, government demand, government fiat, government control, and, and government dictate as to what we do. We would do it ourselves because that's what Americans do. And so if all of us pull together, pitch in as we need to, take care of ourselves and our families, and then recognize we have commitments to our neighbors, and we focus on our community, not on Washington, D.C., we're going to beat the virus. It's what we do as a people in this country. There's no reason to lose hope. Washington may be chaotic right now and squabbling and out of control, but your community's not. Your next-door neighbors aren't.
And that's what makes us the best in the world. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And, oh, weird, oh, I know, y'all, it, it's it's annoying, but I, I, I want to I talk about this for a minute. This is a headline at the Huffington Post. Instead of saying, hey, guys, at work, try these gender-neutral alternatives. This, this seems to recur about once a year we get a story like this. Hey, guys, it's the greeting that launched a 1,000 meetings and Zoom calls. Etymologists trace the term guys to the historic figure Guy Fawkes. It's evolved from the name of one man who attempted to assassinate King James I in 1605 to an informal address for a group of people in contemporary American English. But when used to address your colleagues, it's a gendered greeting that could be sending signals about who is and isn't included in your workplace. Uh, Let me read that last sentence again. When used to address your colleagues, it's a gendered greeting that could be sending signals. Could, 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 could be sending signals about who is and isn't included in your workplace. Could means what is your intent? Is your intent to exclude or not? Now, actually what it means is it's a bunch of young kids and we're offended you said guys because I'm non-binary. What? The problem with guys is that it is a masculine word. Now, who, who makes it a masculine word? Okay, pause. Can we talk about French and Spanish for a second? where there actually are masculine and feminine words. La and la, so I took French. I, I'll speak about French. I can speak about it more authoritatively than, than Spanish, but the same applies. La and le. Certain words, if, if they are preceded by L-E, which is the, and it's L-E, it's a masculine word. And if it is L-A, also the, it's a feminine word. And if it's L apostrophe, it is a word that begins with a vowel. L'ordinateur. I, I just, I, this is a uniquely English woke phenomenon of idiots. Alternatives to hey guys are hi team, hey crew, hey all, hey folks, hey people, hey peeps, hey y'all. Hey, everyone. Hey, pals. Hey, friends. Or just say, hey. Now, you know, if you use hey, y'all, which we do in the South, it's going to be bigoted because it's what Southerners use. Goodness gracious, people. Life is too short to get worked up about this stuff, and yet these people treat it as a religious duty. It's Eric Erickson here. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. 
visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode. It features British author and historian Andrew Roberts. Now, if you haven't heard of Roberts, he's the author of numerous award-winning books, including his most recent, Churchill Walking with Destiny. Roberts is the foremost expert on Winston Churchill. In this episode, he addresses Churchill's approach to governing during a crisis and how he evolved from status to staunch advocate of the free market system. Roberts also shares his take on the destruction of historic monuments. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y and at the end of it, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. Bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. New episodes debut weekly, so come back often, subscribe to their YouTube channel, be notified whenever a new one is posted. It's great content, very thought-provoking for those of you who actually want to be inspired and engage with new ideas and maybe from authors and others you haven't heard of bradleyfdn.org slash liberty hello it is eric erickson here welcome the full number you want to be a part of the program 87797 eric 87797425 you should know that ryan reynolds is sorry you know the the star of deadpool i i guess he was worried he was on the verge of being canceled he got married in 2012 to Blake Lively, an actress. They had their wedding at Boone Hall in South Carolina. Well, Boone Hall is a plantation. It is also beautiful. It is a a highly regarded uh, wedding venue. It was built 320 plus years ago. And it has a colonial revival plantation house. It was um, rebuilt in 1936. There are slave cabins and cottages. There are historic gardens. There's an avenue of oaks planted in 1743 that's over a kilometer long with 44 live oaks. Yes, it was a plantation. And as a result, as a result, he and his wife are now apologizing for having had their wedding at Boone Hall. I I wish I was kidding about stuff like this. Uh, This is just, to me, it's so ridiculous. This is from CNN. Ryan Reynolds says he and his wife, Blake Lively, still feel sorry about holding their wedding on a former plantation in South Carolina. The topic came up. During the Deadpool star's recent interview with Fast Company, the publication noted that Reynolds was criticized as hypocritical in 2018 after he tweeted his support of the blockbuster movie Black Panther, which has been hailed for its black cast and representation of the superhero movie genre. Reynolds told Fast Company, having their wedding at Boone Hall, a former plantation, is something we'll always be deeply and unreservedly sorry for. It's impossible to reconcile. What we saw at the time was a wedding venue on Pinterest. What we saw after was a place built upon devastating tragedy. Making such a mistake, he said, can, quote, cause you to shut down or it can reframe things and move you into action. They donated $200,000 to the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund following a reported pair of million-dollar donations made last year to the NAACP Legal Fund and the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. Reynolds is reluctant to talk about his support of social justice 
in part because he worries that white celebrities too often drown out non-white voices, even if that's not their intention. But he's more willing to discuss how his production company and marketing agency, Maximum Effort, is doing through diverse hiring and providing employees with equity in the company. Okay, this is a guy with a brilliant PR sense or a brilliant PR handler. But the idea that you're you're going to attack him for, you know, at some point you're going to get attacked for having your wedding at a Christian church that actually believes the Bible. You know it's going to happen. You, you absolutely fundamentally know it's going to happen. It just, just the, the whole thing is, is a little bit ridiculous, including this now. This is, this is hilarious. WNBA stars are openly endorsing Kelly Leffler's opponent in her Georgia Senate race, despite her ownership stake in one of the team's leagues. WNBA, now, no, 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 no. They're not supporting Ralph Warnock. No, or, I'm sorry, Doug Collins. No, they're not supporting Doug Collins. They're supporting Ralph Warnock. WNBA stars are openly endorsing Reverend Raphael Warnock for the U.S. Senate seat currently held by Atlanta Dream co-owner Kelly Leffler. Leffler, a Georgia Republican, previously used her position as a team owner as a political stance in her hotly contested special election. Players called on WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert to ban Leffler from the league after her comments against the Black Lives Matters group. <laughs> you know, she she's writing this. They're just helping her. Players across the WNBA have long been vocal opponents of Senator Kelly Leffler, a Georgia Republican who also happens to co-own the league's Atlanta franchise. But as the special election for Leffler's appointed senatorial seat heats up, stars are using their platform to explicitly rebel against the controversial politician. Prior to Tuesday night's matchup between the Phoenix Mercury and the Atlanta Dream, members of both teams expressed support for Reverend Raphael Warnock by wearing T-shirts that read, Vote Warnock. According to representatives for the Mercury, players on the Chicago Sky also donned the black and white shirts prior to their game against the Dallas Wings. Players on the Seattle Storm and Connecticut Sun also wore the shirts prior to the game. None of these people know who the hell Warnock is. They just hate Kelly Leffler. <laughs> okay, now here's the thing. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around, does it make a sound? If a WNBA player takes a political position, does anyone know unless there's a reporter there to tell them? And then does anyone care? No one watches the WNBA. These are the people who walked off the court because of the national anthem. They didn't even kneel. They walked off the court. Does it really even matter? I mean, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion it doesn't really matter. Uh, and to the extent that it does, it helps Kelly Leffler. I mean, who is this person? Elizabeth Williams. Oh, she's a, a WNBA star. She's got 4,365 followers. Really? I mean, she's she's a she's a WNBA star, and she she's got four thousand. What what the 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 Phoenix Mercury has fifty six thousand social media followers. 
Uh, wait, who else? Let's see. Uh, um, um, yep. That's, 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 that's okay. Let me give you perspective. So this is a, a, a WNBA star who is making headlines. I, I, I don't actually mean this to be puffing myself up, but, but there's actually a a point here. This is a WNBA star and she's only got 4,000 Twitter followers. I've got 214,000 plus Twitter followers. The Phoenix Mercury, a, a WNBA team, only has 56. Who who cares that these people are supporting Raphael Warnock? I mean, again, if, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around, does anyone know that it made a noise? Does it make a noise? If, if, the, if the WNBA stars say vote for Raphael Warnock and people are around, does anyone care? No. No, they don't. This is ridiculous. Uh, and and it, it, it. by the way, this actually helps Kelly Leffler and her team, her campaign team has been quite savvy. And, and let's be honest here. It is a level of manufactured issue, but her campaign did a very good job of manufacturing the issue and riding it to success in the polls. She has gone up in the polls over these issues. Republicans like the fact she's picking a fight on this stuff, uh, and half of her half of her base doesn't even know their NBA WNBA exists. I mean, I don't I don't know a single I don't even know there is apparently a team in Atlanta. I guess I read it. Uh, hang on, what is it? I don't know the name of of these teams. Um, da, 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 um here, yeah, okay, yes, the 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 Atlanta Dream. The Atlanta Dream is that I don't know a single name of a WNBA team. I can't tell you the name of a single WNBA player. I I don't I I, I don't know, and I don't know that anyone else knows. And, and given the ratings and, and whatnot of, of this thing, apparently not. I mean, the fact that you've got a, a apparently it's a significant team, the Mercury. The, this Phoenix, Arizona has a, a WNBA team called the Mercury. They they have no traction. This is this is uh, this is already. Meanwhile, you should know Doug Collins has gotten an ethics complaint against him from the Democrats. This will help Doug. Oh, well, I mean, it's like the Democrats are working to get Leffler and Collins into the runoff together. So there is a um, there's there's a uh, an ethics complaint against Doug Collins by the Democrats because he used. Video of him on the floor of the House of Representatives speaking against the Democrats, which you're not supposed to repurpose floor speeches from the House of Representatives for your campaign. And so they filed a a complaint against Doug Collins with, I guess, the House Ethics Committee against it. Uh, And, you know, Doug Collins is going to be able to turn this around on them as well, that they want to censor Doug Collins. Now, uh, the fact of the matter is, if we're honest intellectually about it, that you're not supposed to use floor speeches in your campaign material. You're, you're, it's not supposed to – the stuff that's said on the floor of the House of Representatives is not supposed to appear in your ads. You can take a picture, uh, and you can put up a picture, but you can't actually use the video. It, it's prohibited um, by the rules of the House and the Senate, and yet uh, he's done it apparently, or at least that's what they're alleging, and he's, they want to censor him. They, why are they afraid? Why are they hiding his message? That's going to be it with, with him, how he does it. Y'all, the, this, the Democrats in Georgia have a problem. I don't actually think so. Joe Biden is going to spend money in 15 states. George is going to be one of them, but he's not saying how much money he's spending. Uh, the consensus among a lot of people is that Georgia could be in play, but right now it's not. And and Biden is laying some groundwork only now in the state. We are in August and he's only just building a team in Georgia, which suggests even the Biden team doesn't really think that it's winnable. 
but they have a problem at the Senate level. I don't think John Ossoff can beat David Perdue, and I don't think that the Democrats are going to be able to pick off Leffler and Collins uh, because they're going to be so divided. Here's the problem. You've got the right now uh, Matt Lieberman, who is Joe Lieberman's son, is ahead of Ralph Warnock in the polling. The Democrats in Georgia have galvanized behind um, Ralph Warnock, but uh, Matt Lieberman leads in fundraising and, and in the polling, and you've got Matt Lieberman and John Ossoff. So you've got two white Jewish dudes who need to rely on black voters in Georgia to support them, and they're both highly liberal. Now, a, a white Jewish guy in Georgia can win a Democratic primary. They he, they they can. But a, a white Jewish guy who is to the left of Stacey Abrams is going to have a very hard time outside of Metro Atlanta. And you've got both Lieberman and Ossoff who are super highly liberal who are right now um, the, 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 the faces of the Democratic Party in Georgia. And I kind of think they cancel each other out, having both of them on the ballot. Uh, listen, if Warnock can get his act together, he may be able to, to get ahead of Lieberman. But right now, Lieberman's got uh, name recognition. His dad was a vice presidential nominee and a famous U.S. senator. He's got the fundraising prowess to go with it. He's getting his message out. And Ossoff, of course, is the nominee on, on in the other race. So you've got two guys who, to a lot of voters, will align the same and look the same, and they're going to neutralize each other in the ballot. That's just the way this sort of stuff works. Lieberman hurts Ossoff and Ossoff hurts Lieberman. And Purdue, by the way, has his message game on point. Uh, he is firing on all cylinders, and it's going to be difficult for Ossoff to beat him. There are a lot of Democrats, oh, of course, and I, I don't think they are. Uh, they underestimate David Purdue who all the polling shows is his own man, and he's outperforming the president in Georgia. And that's a good sign for um, for David Perdue. In the summer months, Democrats in Georgia tend to outperform Republicans in the polling, and David Perdue is already beating John Ossoff in the polling. That's a very good sign for David Perdue. Uh, it is very good for Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins that they're ahead of the Democrats in the polling. Now, the Democrats can consolidate some, but it's real hard for them to get their message out, and it's highly expensive when they can't have big events and they can't go door-to-door. It's throwing everybody off. There's a, an incumbency advantage in the general election just for those things. And by the way, that incumbency advantage transcends to the president as well, which is why I don't think he's going to gonna lose Georgia. There, there's an incumbency advantage when you can't go on, out on the campaign trail. The president has a bully pulpit. He can get a whole lot of TV, and Joe Biden is flying under the radar anyway. Now, before we get to break, this hour is brought to us by First Liberty Building Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you need access to capital, if your business needs a loan, if, if you need a line of credit, if you need a loan, if you need to grow, if you need to preserve your business during hard economic times, reach out to the Frost family. They've been doing this since 1993, helping businesses become bigger businesses and helping bigger businesses uh, get stable access to capital, and they can help you with the PPP program. you got to go to FirstLibertyGA.com. That's their website, FirstLibertyGA.com. Congress can't make up its mind on what to do with the new stimulus package, but it looks like they are going to extend PPP. They may open it up for more people. If you need an opportunity to get in, go on and start developing a relationship with First Liberty GA. First Liberty Building and Loan, the Frost family. Again, if you're a business, this isn't for individuals, just businesses. And if your business needs access to capital, if you need business needs access to lending, if your business needs access to bridge loans, they're the people you should talk to. They've been doing it since 1993. They are good, dependable, good Christian people, hard workers. They want to help hardworking businesses. FirstLibertyGA.com is the company, and you should go check them out. All right, th this is... This is this story hurts my head. 
You know, so I mentioned earlier, um, I'm seeing this people, you put stuff on the internet, you create a site that looks like a news site or, or, or you, you speak with some level of authority. Uh, you could be, um, you could, you, 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 what am I trying to say here? If you, if you put something on the internet and you design a, a, you make it look like it's a new site or you speak with a level of expertise or authority on the internet, people give you credibility and you may not deserve it. For example, um, you will never, ever, 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 never, ever, never, ever, 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 never, ever hear me on this program, site Gateway Pundit. And some of you read that site, and frankly, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, it is not a credible site. Um, and, and a lot of conservatives cite it for the kookiest, craziest stuff out there. Uh, and the accuracy record there is atrocious, and the number of people who pick stuff off of that site and then write about it on their own site with credibility and builds the the, the falsity as, as truth. We have a whole lot of people on the Internet, on the left and the right, including people who have Bible verses in their Twitter bios who really don't care about the truth, who are perfectly willing to violate the Ninth Commandment, who are perfectly willing to lie with a straight face, all to advance their cause. They will take kernels of truth and amplify them into grand conspiracies, and many of you will believe them because they have a veneer of expertise and credibility. And that leads me to this story that is just bizarre. An anonymous anthropology professor remained outspoken about fairness in academia, even as she suffered for months with coronavirus and then ultimately died. This person was a scientist who got COVID because they'd been forced to teach, said Michael Eisen, a fly geneticist at the University of California, Berkeley, who had interacted on Twitter with the professor for years. It wasn't the first person I knew who got COVID, but for a lot of people, it was the first, it was one of the first people they knew who got it. He said he had continued to engage, exchange messages with a person running the account through June and that this person frequently discussed a difficult recovery. Then Beth Ann McLaughlin, another Twitter connection, announced on July 31st that the anonymous professor had died from complications of the virus. A few days later, the account of the anonymous professor and of Ms. McLaughlin were suspended for Twitter policies that, among other things, bar the coordination of fake accounts. That same day, Gerardo Gonzalez, a spokesman for Arizona State University, where the anonymous Twitter user was supposedly a professor, described the anonymous account as a hoax. The account had posted inaccurate information about the school, he said. We have no one, such as a family member or friend, report the death of anyone at the university. Among scientists and academics, the shock of mourning was already laced with suspicion. Enough of them had unpleasant interactions with the combative account and were troubled by its inconsistencies and seeming about terms. You have these alarm bells. They're like, oh, I don't trust you, said Julie Labarkin, the head of the Geocognition Research Laboratory at Michigan State University. Kind of the same as when I worked with Beth Ann. On Tuesday, Beth Ann McLaughlin gave a statement to the New York Times through her lawyer, 
I take full responsibility for my involvement in creating the Sciencing by Twitter account. My actions are inexcusable. I apologize without reservation to all the people I hurt. The anonymous account, Sciencing by, was an active participant in the corner of science Twitter that frequently discusses issues of sexual misconduct in the sciences. It claimed on at least one account to have grown up in Alabama, to have fled the South because of oppression to queer folk, and of having attended Catholic school and then claiming to be Native American. And people gave this anonymous account credibility over time. The account followers grew. The authority of the account grew because of the numbers of followers. And it turns out it was all a scam. And this person didn't even exist. It was all this crazy person running the account. All right. I, I'm going to string a bunch of stories together here uh, and and review the story that I was just quoting in, in the last break. I'll take your phone calls too. Uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So uh, there's this woman. Her name is Beth Ann McLaughlin. Um, Beth Ann McLaughlin is a neuroscientist, allegedly, apparently. Um, there, uh, there was a petition to give her tenure at Vanderbilt University, which she was not given in 2017. Uh, she claims it was because she testified against a former professor about sexual harassment, um, she was unsuccessful in reversing the decision in 2019. She left the university in the summer of 2019. Uh, and there was a Twitter account called Sciencing By, um, allegedly a, uh, queer Native American raised in Alabama who went to Catholic school. That's how that person over time described themselves. Uh, okay. Um, and, and this account, Sciencing By, uh, got... Uh, started being followed by people and started weighing in on scientific debate and started calling out people for sexual misconduct in academia. And it got credibility with some. Others remained skeptical of it because it was so combative. Uh, and it turns out it was the, this Beth Ann McLaughlin person who was also running this account. And eventually she killed off her, her anonymous account, claiming that whoever the person represented, who ultimately she claimed was an Arizona State University professor, died of COVID-19. Well, that in and of itself whipped people into a frenzy on the left that, that you know, in Arizona, Doug Ducey, bad, Republican, bad, conservative, bad, running the state, bad, COVID-19, bad, professor forced to teach, dies of COVID-19. It's all Doug Ducey's fault. It's all the Republicans' fault. How dare this university do it? It became a thing. And, and Ultimately, the university had to come out and say, we, we don't have any professors here who've died of COVID-19. We have no idea who this person is. Well, it turns out it was this nutter, uh, Beth Ann McLaughlin, um, and it was it, all very weird. Um, this is from the New York Times. Ms. McLaughlin first began to make waves among those concerned about sexual harassment in the sciences. In May of 2018, she wrote and circulated a petition that month calling for the National Academy of Sciences to revoke the membership of those who had been punished for sexual harassment, retaliation, and assault. In June of 2018, she and Ms. Lebarkin, a, a, another scientist, started a website, Me Too STEM, which quickly garnered attention as women posted a series of largely anonymous stories about being harassed while working in science, technology, engineering, and math. In the same month, Ms. McLaughlin further raised her profile when she used Twitter to successfully pressure the website RateMyProfessor.com to drop its system of chili peppers used to rate the hotness of academics. I'm sorry, my brain paused at that one for a moment. RateMyProfessor.com had a system of chili peppers used to rate the hotness of academics. And she pressured them to drop it. 
Okay. In October of 2018, Ms. McLaughlin, who had begun to make decisions for the organization without informing her colleagues, created a fundraiser for Me Too STEM on GoFundMe. It raised over $79,000, and her colleagues at Me Too STEM were already feeling uncomfortable with their leadership and were particularly uneasy with the GoFundMe. Former colleagues of hers at Me Too STEM said they did not know where the money ultimately went. In November of 2018, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Media Lab awarded its Disobedience Award to Ms. McLaughlin. Tarana Burke, a founder of the Me Too movement, and Sherry Martz, who left academia after being harassed by a colleague in her graduate lab. The award recognizes ethical, nonviolent acts of disobedience and comes with $250,000, which that year was split among the three participants. As Ms. McLaughlin received more public recognition, her colleagues at Me Too STEM began to leave the organization, accusing her of frequent verbal abuse and citing the dysfunction plaguing the organization. And along the, the way, there's this sciencing by account that's participating in the scientific debate, outing people, shaming people, uh, and going on and on about what's happening in academia. People give it credibility. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, the account was Ms. McLaughlin running it. Uh, she killed off the person, and Ms. McLaughlin was just uh, not a pleasant person to deal with. We'll put it that way. Now, the point I raise on this story and why I review it is because this is happening more and more online. You put together a website that looks credible, looks like a news site, and and you you have a narrative you want to push, and people are going to give that credibility whether it should or it, not, it shouldn't, particularly if the reporting plays to your preconceived biases. This is actually happening around the country now. Uh, there, there's a, a website where I am here in Georgia. I think it's the Georgia is it the Georgia Reporter. Um, uh, there's, it's a, a nonprofit website and the website purports to give you an accurate impression of what is happening in Georgia news. And what actually is happening is it's a left wing outfit that covers the news through narrative development, not reporting facts, but narrative development. And, and the difference between reporting facts and reporting narrative is that uh, this website will leave out facts if those facts might make its intended narrative less bad. So, for example, if this website wants to pretend that Brian Kemp is corrupt, it will paint a story using facts that show Brian Kemp is corrupt. Uh, but it will leave out the facts that show that a decision made for funding purposes actually had a very innocuous reason and, and is actually totally explainable because that wouldn't fit the narrative. And the narrative is more important than the facts. And now this is happening around the country, particularly in areas where local news sites are collapsing. Uh, the left more so than the right, but the right to some degree, but very much the left because of their donors are taking advantage of this and they're building these platforms. And the same holds true on social media. You have someone with several hundred thousand followers and they they talk very authoritatively about a subject. You're going to follow them as an authoritative person on the subject. And we've seen this with the coronavirus. The number of people who have been misled by purported experts online who tell them what they want to hear is extraordinary. It is amazing to me how many people are armchair epidemiological experts because they follow on a count or two on Twitter and they read websites that tell them what they want to hear and they challenge facts. And, and so, for example, I, I'm thinking of this because there's a conservative website today 
that is pushing a story that the reason Dr. Fauci and, and uh, Admiral uh, Girard, who's been on this program, who's great, by the way, the reason they're out saying we can't use hydroxychloroquine definitively, that we can't recommend it definitively, is is because of tests that actually the real reason, actually the real reason is because remdesivir makes people more money and so we've got to suppress hydroxychloroquine. I'm actually amazed overall at the number of people on the right these days who believe the pharmaceutical profit motive governs everything. Now, uh, here's Admiral Girard, by the way, just so you hear him. So um, hydroxychloroquine needs to be prescribed by a physician. Um, there may be circumstances, I don't know what they are, where a physician may prescribe it for an individual, but I think most physicians and prescribers are evidence-based and they're not influenced by whatever is on Twitter or or anything else and and the evidence just doesn't show that hydroxychloroquine is effective right now i think we need to move on from that and talk about what is effective both from a public health standpoint i told you the masks the crowds wash your hands right. uh, avoid indoor spaces and for treatments we know that if you get covid now your chances of dying are incredibly uh, less than they were in april because our healthcare providers know how to treat it better. We have effective therapies like remdesivir and steroids, promising therapies like immune plasma and a vaccine really on the horizon. So you see he brought up remdesivir, which is is known now to be an actual effective treatment. And we've still got 243 studies outstanding in the field on hydroxychloroquine. We can't be definitive about it, and it's very mixed. Uh, We know from the research on remdesivir, it's actually very consistent across studies. There's actually new research out on hyperbaric chambers that that may actually um, – that may actually – be worthwhile. In fact, I've heard this from from a guy who was was texting me fairly incessantly that I needed to to start pushing uh, people in politics on uh, hyperbaric chambers, and it it does appear that it may very well work. Um, but the studies are very small. We need more studies on this stuff. But so anyway, uh, people that they put it out, they design a website, they develop a website, they have a pre-existing website that appears credible, and people put information on it, and in putting information on it. It looks great. Hey, it looks like a newspaper. It looks like there's money behind this. They must know what they're doing. And so they they peddle these crazy conspiracy theories that the reason no one wants you to use hydroxychloroquine is because the pharmaceutical companies won't get rich off of it. <gasps> Profit motive. I, I By the way, total tangent here. I am astonished at the number of people who, when you draw a picture of them uh, for them of a profit motive, immediately believe it. I really do think it says more about the character of those people than it does the actual story. So the number of conservatives out there, oh, well, of course, we've got to use remdesivir and not hydroxychloroquine because the the rich pharmaceutical companies have to get richer. No, that's actually not true. But if your preconceived bias is that these pharmaceutical companies just want to make money off of you, and by the way, this is a note to the pharmaceutical companies as well that you clearly have an image problem in the country. But you're going to believe it because you hate the pharmaceutical companies. You already hate them. You already think they're making money off of you. So someone throws out, well, of course, it's a conspiracy against hydroxychloroquine because the pharmaceutical companies are going to, you know, they actually do make money off hydroxychloroquine. They wouldn't sell it if they didn't make money. We just happen to have 243 studies outstanding in the field to try to decide whether it's an effective treatment or not. And the the, the studies are very mixed. My personal position is that if a physician wants to try it, you should let them try it. There are physicians who swear by it. 
Let them use it. You shouldn't deny them the opportunity to use it. But let's not be definitive on it when we've still got 243 trials in the field. We're awaiting the research back. What we do know is that in most cases, remdesivir, particularly in severe cases, has shown to have impact and shown to benefit. There's, it's not a government conspiracy. It's not a pharmaceutical conspiracy. But you put up a website, make it look credible, and people are going to believe it. That I mean, I, I realize, what, who was it? Um, um, P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. We got a lot of suckers being born every minute in this country on both the left and the right. People who go, that they play to their biases and, and they never want to be challenged. Like, for example, here's the thing. Have you heard about the MSNBC reporter who left? She was an NPR reporter. She went to work for MSNBC. Uh, she worked for Lawrence O'Donnell's team, and now she's left. And, and essentially her leaving is that news media right now, TV news is a cancer on society, and it shows no signs of getting better. It's playing to the crowd for ratings. It's putting legitimate news storytelling um, on the back burner so that it can enrage people to keep people engaged, to keep people tuned in, to keep people pissed off, to keep people engaged, to keep people tuned in, to keep people pissed off. And it becomes the circle and, and facts don't matter anymore. Facts must be thrown out if they placate something, if they tone something down and, and people are, I see proof, you know, at this point. In my life, given what I do, I see a story that checks every box for my pre-existing concerns and biases, and I think maybe I should be a little skeptical of this. It tells me everything I want to hear and nothing I don't want to hear. Maybe I should be a little skeptical, and, and that's just the way I'm programmed. Listen, I, I am very anti-herd. When I see everybody going in one direction, I start to pull back and say, hey, may, maybe, maybe that's not a good idea, guys. It's like, you know, it's like my daughter um, was pointing out something the other day and she was like, no, no, I'm not going to do this because that's what every dumb white girl in a horror movie does and it gets her killed. I was like, yes, you know, there is, you you know for certain uh, in a horror movie, the dumb white girl with blonde hair and her friends are going to run into a house for safety. The house, they don't know, the front door is going to be unlocked and they're going to go hide in the closet of the house. And you know they're all going to die because they did that. It's that predictable. When the herd is rushing towards the house for safety, maybe you should be like the one person who stands back and say, hey, you know what? That could be actually where the serial killer lives. It's the same with all the stuff. When you see the news site that tells you exactly what you want to hear and confirms everything you already believe, maybe something, maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe they're telling me what I want to hear. Not that it's true. So here comes this this accountant, and, and so many people are doing this on the left and the right, and here comes this Beth Ann McLaughlin person who starts this anonymous account from this professor who tells all these people on the left in academia exactly what they want to hear, that they're sexual predators covered in academia, and we need to drive them all out, and they're harassing and shaming people, and, and something's got to be done. And it turns out that it was this one aggrieved woman who clearly has some issues who set up this account. She killed off the character of the account uh, through COVID-19. She used it as an excuse to bail out, and only then did people start saying, wait a second, this account account that told me everything I believed was true all along. Maybe there was some reason to be skeptical of it. You, you know, if I on a daily basis tell you everything that you believe is true and, and you never, you're never challenged by something I say, you should probably question my validity here. Because on a daily basis, I, you know, you can hear me change my mind from the beginning of the show to the end as I get new data. 
And I try to always correct and, and, and try to always tell you, I'm just, I'm, I'm always just shocked at the number of people who for confirmation bias, oh, it tells me exactly what I wanted to know. Therefore, it must be true. It very much is, is like the, 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 all the girls running into the house in the horror movie. You know they're going to die when they go in. I'm sorry it's that predictable. You know they're going to, you don't know necessarily how they're going to die. Uh, maybe the saws come through the back of the closet they're hiding in and chop them to bits, or maybe the serial killer locks them in there and sets the house on fire, but you know it's going to happen. It's very predictable. Abby in Athens says she wouldn't die in a horror movie. Yeah, you, you just don't watch the horror movies. Do y'all know as an aside before I get out of here, this is why I'm a deeply scarred person. When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, grew up in Dubai and we had a, a three bedroom house, but there was a fourth room and it was the TV room. And I didn't want to share a room with my middle sister. She was way into Duran Duran for me. And so I decided that my parents were gave their blessing. I could move the bed into the TV room and the TV room would be my bedroom. But the rule was that if anyone in the house wanted to watch a movie, I either had to suffer through it or I had to leave. I'd go sleep on the couch. My sisters naturally decided the way to get back at me for this was to watch horror movies. I was in third grade and they convinced my dad to take me with him to see Jaws 3D. My dad doesn't even know how the movie ended because 30 minutes before the end, he had to take me out of the movie theater screaming and crying because I was terrified. And it turns out Jaws 3D, the first 3D movie I ever saw, it was actually a PG-13 movie. I'm like, how can this be? People were getting eaten by sharks. There was a whole head floating. I still remember this movie. I had to leave like 30 minutes before the end of the movie. I was scared to death, but my sister did this to me. I don't watch horror movies, but I know, and you all know, that all the girls get in the herd mentality, and they run to the house where the serial killer lives, and he kills them all. It's that predictable. I still don't want to watch it, even though I know what's going to happen. And it's the same with the rest of the stuff. When you start hearing people parroting back the stuff that they believe to be true to begin with, and by God, they found some random website that tells them exactly what they wanted to believe in the first place, maybe you should be a little skeptical. Well, you could, except we're almost at the end of the show, and I'm not going to take your phone call now. So <laughs> actually, my call screener closed the phone, so I couldn't take your phone calls. All right. I talked about that. Nope, nope. No, y'all, listen, I, I'm trying to do so much better talking about stuff that I, because yes, I did an entire three hours yesterday. So I get up every morning and I outlined the show in the order of things that I want to talk about. And yesterday I did an entire show without a single thing that I had spent an hour and a half researching and prepping. And, and I did an entire show off the cuff with, without any, any of the stuff, which is why I barely played it in the audio yesterday that I wanted to play. But I'm going to end with something that I wanted to talk about yesterday that I didn't get to talk about. Ellen DeGeneres. Have y'all seen this with Ellen? Uh, cancel culture has come for her in large part uh, because she hung out with George W. Bush and said people who disagree should be friends. And that apparently is is a sin in wokeness. You can't be friends with people who disagree anymore. I mean, I get this on the right. I've got friends who are Democrats and, and people find out, yeah, I, I like this person. Like, <gasps> How could you do that? You you can't really be a conservative. You're, yeah, we can disagree on politics. You know, Donna Brazil and I, we, we trade recipes. We disagree on everything politically, but we trade recipes. We're both from Louisiana. We, we, we can talk about LSU. Same with James Carville. But uh, apparently you're not supposed to do this. Well, Ellen's got to be canceled. Okay, so here's the thing about Ellen. I don't know her. I have never met her. I have heard for years, years that she's actually a very difficult person. 
I have heard this for, I mean, as long as her her be nice to others shtick has been happening, I've heard for years she's just not a pleasant person. Now, I got a suspicion on this one, though. I wonder if it's actually the people around her. Um, believe it or not, there there are there are people who get into positions of of power and fame, and they're surrounded by assistants who they their livelihood depends on this person being at peak performance all the time, and so their job is to preclude everyone else from coming into contact with this person and distracting the person. And oftentimes, it's not the celebrity who's the bad person. It's the assistants around the celebrity, but no one knows it's actually the assistant. So, for example, the idea that Ellen DeGeneres doesn't want you to look at her when she's all, maybe it's true. There are celebrities like that. I've heard this about Ellen DeGeneres for years from friends of mine who are in Hollywood, that she's actually a very mean person behind the scenes, uh, that she's very rude and condescending to people, and she doesn't like people to talk to her or look at her. And all these stories come out, and I was like, I've been hearing this for years. How is this new? Everyone should have known. Except part of me does want to know of um, is, is it actually her or is it her assistant? Charlie says he thinks I'm being passive aggressive with him. I am not, and he he better he better know I'm not. Um, in fact, Charlie gets mad at me that I'm too accessible, and I try to be accessible to people, which to some degree is a problem. Like I I've, I had to block a few people I gave my cell phone number to, listeners to, who who just decided that um. That, that they could just text me randomly at all hours of the day and night with anything that floated into their mind, which was crazy. But I just, I, I want, is she really that bad or is it the assistant who's making her sound that bad? I, I don't know. At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones. Plus, energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now, any Speedy Freeze up to Mighty Size is just 99 cents.